And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Thank you for joining us. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Our guest mentor today is the Dean of the University of San Diego's Jacobs School of Engineering, Dr. Al Pisano. Dr. Pisano has spent 41 years in the University of California system, with the last 11 as the Dean of the Jacobs School. Under Dr. Pisano's leadership over 11 years, the Jacobs School has grown from 5,800 students to close to 9,000 today, making it the largest public engineering school in California and in the top 10 in the nation. It is ranked as one of the best engineering programs in the country. Dr. Pisano has raised nearly $400 million for the school and has expanded its research from computer chips to earthquake-proof buildings to flying taxis. Today, we're going to talk about the future of engineering, several of the key trends in technology. This is a show for those interested in cutting-edge technology, students considering engineering as a career, and those in transition who are trying to pick an area where jobs will be plentiful and demand for new hires will be the greatest, whether you're an engineer or not. So welcome, Al. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Tom, I'm always happy to be on the show and happy to share with you and others. As we get started, so people know a little bit more about you very quickly, take us through your own education, how you ended up at Cal, and then how you ended up at UCS, because you did go to Cal, that's where I met you first, and then on to UCSD. Give everybody about your journey and maybe some of the key experiences that you had along the way that helped shape who you are today. So, you know, I got started in engineering because I got entranced by machines. And so with that, just with that small spark, uh, I did my best in high school. I went to high school in Manhattan, Columbia University for all my degrees. And after a tour through three industries, Xerox, General Motors, and uh, Singer Sewing Machines, I ended up applying for a university job at UC Berkeley, and I was thrilled to enter. When I entered, I went through a set of changes uh, because I had three realizations in my career. So as an assistant professor, I entered determined that I would do the best for myself, be the best assistant professor, teach the best, research the best. In one sense, it was a uh, a very personally oriented approach. But as I went through my career at Berkeley, uh, I realized that my the most important thing was to have the students do their best. The goal shifted. And then as my research lab built up, wait a minute, I want my graduate students to do their best. A second shift. And then when I became the department chair, it was, holy mackerel, I need these 44 faculty to do 
their best. And when I was in various research groups or administrative positions, it then was, hey, I have a yet a bigger group that I want to do their best. And so when I got the opportunity to uh, become the dean at UC San Diego, I really jumped on it very hard and fast because I said, wow, this is an even bigger thing. And I came at it with the attitude, I'm willing to invest completely of myself so that this entire organization and the people in it uh, do their best. And uh, over these last 11 years, uh, what we've seen is that by enabling other people to have the courage to go and pursue what they want to do. The joke I tell is, you know, mostly I just turn on green lights. That has that has been an incredible, that has led to an incredible success story here at the Jacob School of Engineering. Well, I know uh, you've also been a co-inventor. You're on 40, 20 patents. Uh, you've got a number of what I think it was 190 plus archival publications. So you've been, you, you just talked about creating the best, but also you uh, provided a lot with regards to the academic side, both in the publications and then on the creative side with the patents. Uh, and what people don't know, and maybe you can just talk about it briefly, you created a venture fund down there, or I shouldn't say down there. I'm up here, you're down there, but that, you created a venture fund at uh, Jacobs, didn't you? That's that's correct. The uh, Vertical Ventures uh, Round One here in the Jacobs School of Engineering. Uh, uh, I would offer that uh, that was a pretty uh, avant-garde move. Uh, uh, since when is a School of Engineering a partner? And a venture fund, <laughs> but it it really it really got the school, uh, and it got the participants in the school really seriously thinking about the entrepreneurship mission, and how entrepreneurship is one of a myriad of ways that you can have a contribution to a technical field. And you just uh, dedicated a new building on the campus, a new engineering center that people have characterized as cathedral-like. Tell us a little bit more about the design of that and what you hope to accomplish, which is unusual. So briefly put, uh, it is a building designed to maximize the circulation of people and ideas. And to do that, it has large open atria so that you can look up into this building and see the research going on and know where you want to go without a map. That kind of building naturally stirs the pot. Everyone's interacting all the time. And the pace of research there is very, very high as a result. And you're bringing in other dis other schools as well into the engineering school for the uh, uh, collaboration across uh, what I would call across the silos that usually exist. Yeah, you can imagine assigning spaces, a political hot button on any academic campus uh, we have uh, representatives from many other schools, many other departments embedded with our engineers working uh, side by side. So we're going to be right back after a short break. We're with Dr. Al Pisano, Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California at San Diego. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now... 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with Dr. Al Pisano, Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California at San Diego. So when you were talking about the students and the faculty, one of the things, and I've known you for a number of years, and I got to know you were uh, when you were the department chair at Cal, I'll never forget walking in and seeing this incredible machine shop. And one of the questions I had for you is, how do you ensure students, I think one of your things is you want people to get a real world experience before they go out. Now, I'm fortunately or unfortunately a graduate of Notre Dame, and I'm an ME also, and we had no machine shops. I mean, I, it was all academic stuff. I learned my engineering when I went to Honeywell in aerospace, but I was really impressed. Talk about your philosophy there with the students. I've always been uh, a big proponent that if you can't design something a machine shop can make, then you don't really understand design. And I learned this the hard way uh, by working uh, in a machine shop uh, in a research capacity at uh, Columbia University during my PhD thesis. So the philosophy at Berkeley was theory is wonderful. It guides and enlightens. But practice is where you pick up all the unwritten rules that you need to know in order to be proficient. And the only way to teach that effectively is to have people try and fail. And a machine shop is the ultimate test, right? Machines don't lie. Aluminum doesn't lie. If you mill it wrong, it doesn't work. And there's no, there's no negotiating with it. And so it's a perfect uh, microcosm for people really uh, consolidating their knowledge by actually practically building something. Well, I was very fortunate because my first boss at Honeywell was an incredible teacher. And he would take me out and show me how to apply what I learned. And not everybody gets that. So that was a stepping stone for my career. That's why I think what you've done uh, at Cal and now at UCSD with the machine shop is incredible because you're not going to be held hostage by your first boss. So I'll just add as an anecdote, uh, we have a maker studio which follows these same principles. And I am pleased to report to you that the, that the School of Engineering Maker Studio gets over 40,000 student visits a year. Wow. Incredible. So Tom Burbage was a guest on the show this year. He's a former EVP and general manager for Lockheed Martin. And he had the responsibility for the development of the F-35 over a couple of decades. There was a comment that uh, he made, and I'd like your, it really resonated with me, and it goes back to a lot of discussions we've had over the years. I'd like you just to comment on it. The comment is, engineers cherish their reputation for telling the truth, but sometimes those truths are not welcome. Uh, Wow, that goes, (laughs) Uh, Tom, that goes right to the heart of the issue. Uh, which is, and I'll react to it by uh, coming at it from a slightly oblique angle. It is obligatory that engineers must tell the truth because the machine or the system they design will tell the truth by either failing or working. 
And uh, a great engineer is someone who can avert that coming disaster by having the moral courage and the technical confidence to basically uh, communicate, hi, we're on the wrong track. And you, you cannot take any delusions about or form any illusions about where this technology is going. So that is a spectacular, I mean, I love that quote, that's spectacular. And the other thing, as I look back over my career, is how engineering taught me to be a critical thinker. It is one of the real values of an engineering education, regardless of what field you go in. You, become, you just train your mind to be a critical thinker. And it comes back to telling the truth as well. So I, it's something that resonated. I wanted to get your reaction. So this is Tom Lawyer. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with the University of California, San Diego's Al Pisano. Now, let's look into the future a little bit, because there are a lot of people out there who have children thinking about going to college, or there are people that are in transition. What is the future of STEM as you see it? I think uh, I think STEM is going to go through uh, a little bit of a revolution, and I think we're in the middle of it here at UC San Diego. So let me offer uh, a little bit of, un of an unproven hypothesis, which is there is a diversity called neurological diversity. Some people call it left brain, right brain. Some people call it creative versus analytic. The future is going to bring such difficult problems that we need fully empowered people to solve them. So pure STEM endeavors are going to have to embrace the social sciences and the arts and humanities so that they pick up the skills from that area in order to be effective. And in a reciprocal way, students in arts and humanities and social sciences are now eager for some of the critical engineering mental problem-solving mentalities. So what you're going to see is each field is going to borrow techniques from the other, and each field is going to be made stronger. So I see the future in a holistic way. There will always be a core to STEM. There will always be a core to arts and humanities and to social sciences. But the overlap is going to increase very, very much in the next few years. And I would assume, based on that, that those that learn how to manage those two things are going to be the stars of tomorrow, the leaders of tomorrow. So, Tom, I fully agree, and I'll add a bit of uh, heuristic evidence to this, which is from the many companies that I talk to who hire students from engineering, they never complain about the level of technical education. They're satisfied. It's great. What they ask is, are, the, are they good handling, uh, are your graduates, can your graduates be better at managing people? communicating? Uh, can they connect to a wider variety of people than just other STEM people? The companies are all communicating to me that they need engineers who can function not just as engineers, but in many other roles in the company, because engineering solutions touch people in so many different ways. Only someone with an anthropology or a sociology or an arts and humanity awareness can realize all those touch points, figure out that those would be the touch points. The companies all know they need it because the markets are telling them. 
And here at San Diego, we're trying to respond by making that blending uh, from STEM and non-STEM work in a way that improves everything for everybody. And engineers do, I mean, not all of them, but I know engineers do fill a lot of the other positions in companies where there's proof of that. So we, we know that's true. So we've got a little time left in this segment. We'll carry over to the next segment. Building on that, one of the things that uh, you've done recently is a new problem-solving curricula. Tell us about that, because that feeds right into what you're talking about. Yep. So a uh, quick story. Uh, a philanthropist said, how can I educate people so that they can get a good job without a four-year engineering degree? And after much discussion, we decided, hey, wait a minute. Is there a way to abstract out the meta-knowledge the high-level thinking patterns of how engineers solve problems without running a student through two years of engineering prerequisites. So how do you teach engineering problem solving with a minimum of engineering? Because there are people who can learn it in that reverse order. That's the key to the curriculum. So we're going to come back after a short break and continue our discussion about this new breakthrough curricula of problem solving that's being implemented at the University of California, San Diego. You can listen to this show and past shows on all popular podcast platforms or by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. And it is very, very, very important that you subscribe while you're there so you don't miss another episode. Again, thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with Dr. Al Pisano, Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California at San Diego. And we're talking about problem solving and his innovative new approach uh, curricula for teaching uh, people how to problem solve, whether they're in the engineering program or not, or not even in, I guess, it could be a certificate program. Let's talk a little bit more about the, the guts of that program. Yeah, so Tom, uh, uh, stream your learning is our internal word, our internal title for it. Uh, uh, we have yet to give it a, a complete new title. But the essence is, if we study all the courses in engineering, the mechanics and the fluids and the heat transfer and the solids, et cetera, et cetera, control systems. And we look at what are the core problem-solving skills each of these instances of technology are teaching. It turns out you can distill them down into about 13 basic tactics. And we've had a team funded we're very grateful for the philanthropic funding. We've had a team funded uh, for the last two years to boil that down and actually make a curriculum. And it's a mixture, small hands-on projects, and then a little bit of lecture time about the how you approach a problem. We don't discuss the solution. We let people find it on their own, but how you approach a problem. And at this point, uh, we have tested this on over a thousand high school students, 
very successfully. We've educated about 30 high school teachers. Uh, and what we're doing now is revising the curriculum, raising the level a little bit. And within a year, we will be offering it here on campus in a joint effort with arts and humanities with a jointly hired instructor so that each of us uh, can have our students use this course to improve their problem-solving skills. And is there something uh, on the Jacobs website or something that people can go to to learn more about this, or is this still under wraps? It's a little bit under wraps. We want to finish testing it a little bit more, but uh, uh, candidly, if you look for stream your learning, stream as in a stream of water, stream your learning, uh, you may find some of the uh, internal uh, reports about it on our website in the engineering school. Um, but we're very excited that it's ready to take a test drive among uh, college freshmen, college first years. And that that will be our big breakout moment. So we're having this conversation just before the great unveiling, as it were. So everyone can be prepared. We'll post... Uh stream your learning on the, just to remind people on the show notes. Uh, so we'll do that. This is Tom Laurie listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with UCSD's Al Pisano. So now problem solving. You're going to teach a lot of people how to improve their problem solving. And I've always felt that that is the key to my success is being, a, I'm a problem solver. And uh, there were a lot of problems that we're facing today. And I know you have applied a lot of resources to helping solve those problems. So let's talk about some of the things that are going down, going on at UCSD from a problem-solving standpoint. Let's start with energy production and storage. Energy is a hot issue. Give us a little update of what you're up to down there at uh, uh, Jacob School. So, uh, Tom, happy to talk about that. And if you ever want to talk about biomanufacturing, we can do a little of that gonna, as well. We're going to do that next. Okay. So we want to do that first. Well, if it's okay, um, more uh, I'd like to lead with sure. a vision that's being put together and uh, we're putting the pieces together to accomplish it. Okay. So here's the vision statement. You know, the world cannot live without plastics. It's too... Uh, it's too big of a component of our daily lives. And if you try to use trees or other materials to replace plastics, you would be basically mowing down entire forests or, you know, <laughs> having negative effects on the, on, the, uh, 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 on the environment in other ways. The real problem is, what do we do with plastics when we make them and dispose of them? So, we have a group of faculty who are working on carbon neutral biomanufacturing. And the innovative idea is that you don't need to change most of the plastics industry. What you need to do is provide them a different feedstock. Feedstocks are small molecules that the rest of the petrochemical industry is designed to assemble and modify and change so that you get the plastics that you need. You don't get the plastics from the oil, you get the plastics from the feedstocks from the oil. What if you don't need the oil? So the value premise is, if I could use bacteria to make the feedstocks 
from the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. I can leave oil and coal already sequestered in the ground as sequestered in the ground. And I will start unloading the atmosphere of all the carbon dioxide that went up because of all the production that used coal and oil and natural gas. And the, the, the scalable point is that if you ask, how did we ever get a world in which 50 million automobiles can be made every year? I mean, that's a huge endeavor, right? A million, millions of people and uncounted, untold dollars. And it's because you can make a profit doing it. So what if we took all that entrepreneurial energy and said, we have a process by which you can make a profit pulling carbon dioxide from the air and selling feedstocks for the, into the petrochemical industry? We're trying to change the way the world works, and we think we might be able to do it. And that would fall under a, what I call the category carbon capture, right? Carbon redeployment. <laughs> You don't capture it and store it. That just gives you another rent to pay. It's you take it from the air and you sell it again. And you take it from the air and you sell it again. It's a cycle like water or oxygen. I mean, let's make carbon a cycle. Well, since we're doing that, why don't we then uh, talk about the biofoundry and the hub and all of that, uh, which is a hot area as well. And, and I bring these up because these are areas, again, for students interested try, or trying to figure out where they want to go, these are creating opportunities. And also for people in transition, these are areas to look and pursue because these are going to be the waves of the future in terms of job growth. That's right. So look at, you know, the biofoundries are key. So what is really a biofoundry? It's a place where you can program bacteria and other uh, small single cell uh, organisms to new purposes, right? So you remember bacteria make penicillin. We didn't have to program them. That was, that was already provided. But you can imagine we've improved the strains so that they make more. So biofoundries are the actual research areas where you manipulate the bacteria so that their output of useful products is increased. All right, we'll be right back talking more about the biofoundry and its uh, solution to a lot of the problems that we have. We're with Al Pizzano, the Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California at San Diego. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with Dr. Al Pizzano, Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California at San Diego. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, please give us a five-star rating. You will be helping others like yourself who are seeking wisdom on life and career. So we were talking about the biofoundry. Let's bring in the other element, the other disciplines or what other areas, uh, you know, philosophy, humanities, all of that. Let's, how does that come to bear on all of this? Yeah. So, Tom, uh, as I was, as we discussed earlier, uh, big technology solutions touch people. And you have to do that now in a much more circumspect and educated way. So 
the biofoundry is going to be a big effort, right? We're going to be modifying bacteria, providing feedstocks, helping with the carbon negative biomanufacturing, change, making a lot of positive changes. But you know, the technology solution alone is not going to carry the day. You can imagine you would need to engage a business business endeavor, the discipline of business schools, and uh, the disciplines represented by policy schools to say, how are you going to build regulation and policy around to protect and nurture that industry as it grows? You're going to have uh, you're going to have to communicate to people why these products are extremely valuable, even if they cost a little bit more than cheaper alternatives. There has to be a, an outreach program to people. And you're going to have to pick the right product to drive it. And we've already got one. So Lululemon signed a material supply contract with a company formed by one of our alums, Genomatica, which is now called Geno, for precursors for nylon biosynthesized. So they have a petroleum-free nylon for yoga pants. And there is a special market that values that. And you could say, well, why doesn't the oil company just undercut the price of nylon? They can't. The value proposition is that this is petroleum-free nylon. So imagine that rolling out from product to product, right? A technology solution alone isn't going to carry it. There's going to have to be a whole bunch of economics worked out, a whole bunch of messaging worked out. These are all the Provence, these are all in the Provence of the other disciplines. They all need to bond with us and do it together. They can come over to the cathedral and mix it up with everybody. That's what the cathedral's for. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with University of California, San Diego's Al Pisano. Now, not only, I mean, everything you're talking about has uh, a big impact from a global standpoint. And another thing that's a hot area right now globally has to do with chip design, chip manufacturing. Um, and let's start on the name Jacobs. Where does that come from? Yeah, so Erwin and Joan Jacobs uh, is the are the founding donors. Erwin Jacobs was the founder of Qualcomm. Uh, and Qualcomm is a very large uh, chip uh, design company for wireless and other areas now, processors as well. So the Jacob School has a long and storied past in chip design for communication. And he was a professor before he moved into the commercial side, wasn't he? That's correct. He was a professor on this campus in a department that was predated the School of Engineering. Uh, and uh, as he tells the story, when his consulting became so voluminous that he couldn't possibly manage it uh, and be a professor, he said, you know, maybe I should just go with the consulting. Uh, and that led to uh, Linkabit, which is the company after it was sold, uh, from which he launched, out of which he uh, launched, uh, well, he left Linkabit and then launched uh, Qualcomm. Oh, great story. So you've got the roots and the chips. Tell us more about what's going on with the chips and UCSD. Yeah. So uh, again, a, another big revolution is coming. 
So you may have sensed that the number of automobiles is not going to grow, you know, infinitely large. The market is fairly saturated. Number of cell phones, that market is saturating. And so uh, the manufacturers have realized that there is literally a market measured in trillions, trillions of devices at the edge of the cloud, where the cloud is the central computing facilities that you don't even know where they are. You just access them over the internet. Your cell phone talks to the cloud through a provider. If you think of all the things that could connect to your cell phone, some people are connecting their car and other devices, that market is huge. That market has got to be serviced by less expensive, more capable electronics. And there's only one way to get it. Someone has got to figure out how to take electronic materials so different in properties that they cannot be made in the same factory and somehow combine them. So we are happy that we are part of a Southern California super hub. It's part of the Department of Defense, Microelectronics Commons. And our charter is to do two things. We are going to develop the infrastructure that makes those chip combinations material combinations possible. And we're going to orient that toward a new class of super efficient, super low power uh, electronic communication and computation circuits. And you started an effort, what, a year, two years ago? We talk a lot about 5G, but you've got something going on with 6G. Is that still underway? So the 6G effort is progressing, but the Uh, But the real action is going to be the trillions of sensors trying under 6G to communicate with the cloud, whether to go through a cell phone or some other thing. So now that the market has shifted where the big crying need is a new technology for this huge market, no one's got it yet. Uh, I've got the Jacob School on the track with the right faculty group and the federal funding to start making contributions to that solution. I mean, this all ties together from the making of the circuits and the chips and uh, connecting everything, and then you need the 6G, so they're all stacked, and one thing needs the other. They can't do it alone, right? So So let me offer this illustrative example. What if all the electronics in a laptop could be this could be uh, less than of an eighth less than an eighth of an inch square? What if your entire laptop, the full power of your laptop, wow. fit on a fingernail? I think that's a revolution. That's you know, a couple of cell phones and a laptop all in one concentrate in one area, and all at a price point you can't believe. That will change the world. How far away is that? It's, you know, it's always dangerous to predict the future. <laughs> And the joke I'll tell is everyone can project, project uh, can, anyone can predict the future. They always get the date wrong. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll say uh, we're giving ourselves a five to seven year horizon to get uh, really impressive uh, prototypes uh, for market evaluation. It's a tough problem, but we're on it. So 10 years would be a, a good guess for everybody. Okay, so we're going to come right back after a short break. 
We have one more segment left with Dr. Al Pisano, the Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California, San Diego. You'll find all of our show notes and a link to the Jacobs School of Engineering, and we'll add something for Stream Your, stream your Learning at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with Dr. Al Pisano from the University of California, San Diego's Jacobs School of Engineering, the dean. 11 years. So one of the things, let's, uh, you know, this last segment, uh, let's talk a little bit about lifelong learning. You know, one of the things I remember early in my career is when I went to Honeywell, uh, there were gaps. I was part of a young group that came into Honeywell. Then there was this gap and there was another group that was 40 and there was another group that group there's like 60. But it became clear uh, that the longer we're out into the commercial world, uh, we lose a lot. And let's talk a little about the importance of lifelong learning. So, Tom, uh, I think you put your finger on the button there because uh, if you look at what the United States needs to do in order to maintain uh, its technology strength and its economic power, uh, you need everyone to be a better innovator than ever before. And that means people have to keep up with everything so that everyone is firing on all cylinders. So let me clue you in on a big experiment. We just had our first internal test. This comes from our newly founded Laboratory for Emerging Intelligence. And I will characterize it as a Socratic AI agent who can lead you through a course of curriculum. So imagine uh, an agent that not only asks you questions, but you can ask the agent questions, not only helps you review for the midterm, but directs you to the textbook sections, which of course are all online now uh, for this agent, uh, and who can create an infinite number of new questions to test your knowledge from a bunch of different directions. Now, you would say, oh, you know, that's done already. You know, ChatGPT's got that done. It's No. Remember, when you do this for a technical curriculum, you can have zero hallucinations. There are technologies on which people's lives depend. No room for error here. You have to have a very carefully curated body of knowledge. And you've got to teach the system how to interact with people at different age levels. So you learn how to work it with 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds or 22-year-olds. So imagine you had a lifelong learning partner that you met in college or perhaps someday in high school who could work with you to explore the technical or other issues in a body of knowledge and with whom you have an ongoing relationship. We have planted the seeds for that, and we did the first demo for the chancellor two weeks ago, and we're off to the races uh, refining that agent, and it will emerge first 
as the world's best 24-7 tutor uh, for technical curricula here at the Jacob School. So very quickly, we've a lot of talk about going to college. And I know a lot of the programs are developing certificate programs. You talked about it in the beginning with your problem solving. That's part of the future as well, right? That's right. Continuing education is going to be more and more important. And I, I gave an example of one way to make it very personal via technology. But the whole idea of continuing education is going to be how we keep our intellectual workforce, our knowledge workers, right? There are all kinds of workers. Let's look at knowledge workers for the moment. We've got to keep our knowledge workers up to date and current. International uh, competition demands that we do that. Well, thank you very much for joining us. That's it uh, for today. We've been talking technology, technology trends with Dr. Al Pisano, Dean of the Jacobs School of Engineering at the University of California, San Diego. Thank you, Al, for joining us. If you missed any of this show, you will find a link to the show on our website, thementorsradio.com. You will also find show notes and a link to the UC San Diego, Jacobs School at UC San Diego. That is thementorsradio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.